the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. The whole Sermon on the Mount is really about this wonderful truth that true righteousness is a matter of the heart and not mere outward appearance. See, unlike the scribes and Pharisees who diligently practiced their religious deeds, but only for the sake of appearance, they wanted to look good. They wanted the applause of others. Jesus taught that those who follow him must have an inward change of character. We have to have a heart transformation. And that comes the moment we trust him as our Lord and Savior. A sermon and a lecture are similar in some ways. A speaker addresses a group of people. Generally, the speaker learns more in preparation for the lecture or sermon than his audience learns from hearing it. But there is a significant difference. While both of these forms of communication inform, the sermon also challenges. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff is our teacher on Verse by Verse. We are studying the Sermon on the Mount, and we are in the midst of Jesus' challenge near the end of his sermon. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These radio adaptations of his sermons are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. Jeremiah wrote of a new covenant between God and his people. His prophecy in Jeremiah chapter 32 spoke of the regathering of Israel in the last days. But the fulfillment of this prophecy is in individuals as well as nations, and it has already begun in the lives of the elect, both Jews and Gentiles, who have been transformed by the living God. Jeremiah, inspired by God, said in verse 34 of chapter 32, No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. Our lesson today centers around Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. If you are able, I encourage you to follow along in your own Bible. Here is Pastor Steve. See, there are many church members who are under the illusion that they really know Christ, when in reality, they just have some knowledge about what he taught. Listen to what Lloyd-Jones wrote about how this final message of, of Jesus is so pertinent to people like us. He wrote, and I quote, clearly the words are addressed to those who, who are professing Christians. They are not addressed to people who have no interest whatsoever in the kingdom. They are addressed to people who have been listening and who like listening to teaching concerning the kingdom. These words are obviously addressed to members of churches, to those who make the claim of being Christian, who profess discipleship, and who are seeking the benefits and and blessings of salvation. Everything about the picture emphasizes that and is meant to show us the difference between the false and the true profession of Christianity, between the Christian and the seeming Christian, between the man who's really born again and is a child of God and the man who thinks that he is, end of quote. And so, 
understand this, the primary purpose of Christ's parable about a wise man and a foolish man is to show us the basic yet very critical difference between a believer and one who merely thinks that he's a believer. So if, if throughout this study, you come to a, an awareness, a realization that, you know what, I'm, I'm not a believer. I thought I was. Maybe my parents think I am. Maybe my children think I am. Maybe my friends think I am. But I've never really, really trusted Christ, nor have I ever really applied the Bible to my life. Then you know what? Before it's too late, trust Christ. Trust Christ before it's too late. Now, as we go through this story, we're going to notice that there are these two individuals have a number of similarities, yet there is a distinct difference between the two men. And this distinct difference is seen in two specific areas of their lives. The first area that there's a difference in is the foundation of their houses. They had two different foundations. The second area in which they are different is the ability of their houses to withstand the storm. So let's begin by looking at the first difference in their lives. The foundation of their houses is different. And we'll look at verse 24, then we'll skip verse 25 and look at verse 26. And this is just how it kind of plays out. Verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Now, in this parable, Jesus, as we said, highlights two men, two men who are very different. One is called wise, the other is called foolish. In fact, our English word moron comes from this Greek word that is translated foolish. You have a wise man, you have a foolish man. But though both of these men, each of these men, I should say, are very different, they do have some things in common. For example, they both were in the audience that day, both were Jewish men in the audience that day, sitting near the Sea of Galilee as Jesus was on a hill, and they both listened to Christ's sermon. We know that this is what Jesus is talking about because when he said, everyone who hears these words of mine, these words that he's referring to is the, the sermon. He was referring to his words in the Sermon on the Mount. And after hearing his words, both men got up and proceeded to build a house. So there's something in common there. They both heard his word. They both got up after the sermon and at some point built a house. And the houses that they built would appear to be in the same general vicinity and, and location in Israel because later both houses were subject to the same storm that hit the area. Now, it's important to understand that in this parable, Jesus uses the imagery of a building, uh, of building a house only as a metaphor. It, it's not to be taken literally. It's just a figure of speech. He's not really referring to a physical, literal house. The Lord's not giving a lecture here on how to construct a new home in the Galilee area. Although, from a human standpoint, Jesus could have spoken with credibility on the subject because remember, he was a carpenter and it is very likely that he was involved in building some homes in the Galilee area of Israel. But he's just using the imagery of a house, of building a house, as a figure of speech to watch this, to represent a man's life. That's what it's about. In other words, he's talking about what we build our lives upon. Not a literal house, but what do we build our lives upon? And so one man in the story, the wise man, heard the Sermon on the Mount and immediately 
began to build his life upon Christ's words. And the other man, the foolish one, also heard the sermon, but he chose to ignore it. He chose to neglect it, and so he built his life upon something else. Now, I want to look more closely at these two men so that we can understand exactly what these two individuals built their lives upon, and therefore, by way of application, what we're to build our lives upon and what we are not to build our lives upon. First of all, the wise man, Jesus said, went out and constructed his house on a foundation of rock. In other words, a large span of bedrock. That's what he's talking about. Not a little rock, but a large span of bedrock. And this solid rock that he built his life upon is a reference to Christ's words. This is what the the whole parable focuses on, hearing and acting upon his words. In fact, on another occasion, Jesus used the same figure of a rock to speak of God's revealed word. Remember when later in the Gospel of Matthew, Peter confesses that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God? Remember Jesus said, and whom do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus told him, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. In other words, Peter, you didn't figure this out on your own. You didn't figure this out on your own. God revealed, the Father revealed to you these words. And then the Lord proceeded to say, and I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And what was he saying? Peter's name actually means a small stone. It's the Greek word petros. But the rock that Christ will build his church upon is not Peter. It is the Greek word petra, which means a foundation rock. He's not building it on a small stone. He's not building it on a man. In other words, Christ will build his church upon the rock of revealed truth. Same revelation that had just come to Peter. That's what he's talking about, the rock of revealed truth, because divine revelation is the foundation upon which we build our lives as believers. That's what we build upon. And that's precisely what Jesus was talking about when he said that the wise man in his parable did this. He was wise because after listening to the Lord's teaching, he chose to build his life upon its stable, rock-like truths. Now, we understand as Bible believers that all Scripture is inspired, and therefore it's all solid rock upon which to build our lives, all of it. But the specific rock-like teachings that Jesus had in mind in this context are the truths that he's just revealed in the Sermon on the Mount. And what was the primary foundational truth that Christ taught in this sermon, upon which all the other truths rotate? It's found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20. This is the key verse. If you get nothing else from the Sermon on the Mount, get this truth. Matthew 5, verse 20. For I say to you, this is what everything else rotates Um, This is what everything else relates back to. This is what supports all the other truths in the Sermon on the Mount. I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The whole Sermon on the Mount is really about this wonderful truth that true righteousness is a matter of the heart and not mere outward appearance. In other words, true believers are distinct from just religious people. We, we have a relationship with the Lord that's founded upon a heart of obedience to him. You see, unlike the scribes and Pharisees, 
who diligently practice their religious deeds, but only for the sake of appearance. They wanted to look good. They wanted to impress others. They wanted to appear pious. They wanted the applause of others. Jesus taught that those who follow him must have an inward change of character. As we would say today, a a complete inward makeover, which is another way of saying conversion. We have to have a heart transformation. And that comes the moment we trust him as our Lord and Savior. When that happens, we are transformed into those who now obey God from the heart. We want to please him. We want to do things. In other words, our righteousness is not superficial and surfacy like religious hypocrites. Our righteousness stems from a, a heart commitment to please and obey him. It's a godliness, folks, that, go, that goes beneath the surface, down to the soul, an authentic godliness with inward integrity and, and proper motivations, even as we struggle with inward integrity. And even as we struggle with proper motivations, that's the desire of our heart. That's the direction of our lives. It's this teaching of Jesus, by Jesus, and what he said here, that God is to be obeyed and honored inwardly as well as outwardly, that our wise man in this parable built his his life upon. What the Lord is saying is this, this man Raised in Judaism, the Judaism of the first century, the Judaism of the scribes and the Pharisees, hypocritical. After hearing Christ's words about true righteousness, he turned his back on that phony religious system. He said, I've had enough with that legalistic and hypocritical Phariseeism, and now I'm going to build my, my life on obeying Christ's words from the heart. I understand that God wants to be honored in my heart, in my inward attitudes, as well as my outward behavior. So this man builds now his life upon a commitment to follow Jesus as Lord of his life. And we know this is exactly what Christ meant here because he tells us so in a similar passage in Luke's gospel. And I'd like you to turn there, Luke chapter 6, beginning at verse 46. Now, whether this is Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount or another time that Jesus taught, these same truths, we're, we're not sure. It's really not that important. But what is important is to see the meaning of these words. And I want you to notice, beginning at verse 46, Luke chapter 6, notice how similar. It's the same message, or the same, the same message conveyed. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do uh, What should we be thinking? Objection or a negative reaction to your win. Building a house, who notices, dug deep and laid a foundation on the rock and when a flood occurred the torrent burst against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built now jesus in this passage compares obeying him as lord to a wise man who not only noticed notices built his house upon a rock but he tells us that he dug deep to lay the foundation of his house upon this rock. In other words, there's nothing shallow about this man's commitment to Christ's words. There is a depth to his commitment that goes beyond the shallowness of mere religious appearance so that the foundation of this wise man's life is the word of God. And that is to say, when you put it all together, because Jesus is his Lord, he builds everything upon what Christ says. That's why Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? Talking about lordship here. What about the foolish man? We know the wise man built his his life from this point on on Christ's words. He turned away from religious phonyism. Now his life is built on, on Christ, the solid rock. 
But what about the foolish man? Well, though the foolish man heard everything the wise man heard, he was there that day. He's heard the exact same teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. This man, though, chose to ignore Christ's teaching, and so he built his house upon unsteady, unstable sand. Now, if the rock represented Christ's truths about genuine righteousness and his word about that, then what does the sand represent? Well, it's very simple. In contrast to the stable and secure rock of God's infallible word, the sand simply speaks of the shifting opinions of men. In other words, religious tradition, human speculation, and the ever-changing moral standards of men. This is essentially what a non-Christian builds his life upon. Whatever he thinks is right, that's what he does. Whatever he th- he's the final authority. Whatever society dictates is right. If morality from society standpoint changes, then he goes with the flow. If it sways back, more conservative, he's there. If it's more liberal, he's there. That's what he does. He builds his life on whatever he wants to think and what others think. <laughs> now, the main point that Jesus is making in comparing these two men is to make it very clear that the difference between a genuine Christian and someone who mistakenly thinks that he's a true Christian is obedience to God's word. Genuine Christians, note this, they're always, always marked by not only believing the word of God, but doing the word of God. Not Certainly not with perfect obedience. Nobody has that but Christ alone. But a true believer has a desire. He has a longing to obey, even when he blows it in his life, even when he sees inconsistencies, even when he sees there are so many more areas he could be more obedient and more diligent to to do those things. There's still that longing, that desire, the general flow and direction of his life is obedience. In other words, it characterizes his life, which is precisely what the rest of Scripture teaches. 1 John for example, 1 John chapter 2. Now, all of 1 John is about how we can assure ourselves that we really know Christ. If you're struggling with assurance, am I really a Christian or, or maybe I've never trusted Christ? Well, 1 John is the book you need to read because John gives a series of tests how we can observe whether we're really believers or not. And he tells us in 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse 3, by this, we know that we've come to know him. By what, John? How do we know that we've come to know him? He says, if we keep his commandments. Now, John is not talking about perfect keeping of his commandments. He's talking about the the longing of our hearts, that, that general attitude that says, here's what the word says, and I want to obey it. That's my, that's my approach to scripture. I don't just learn it for the sake of learning it. I hear it, and I want to obey it. And he says, the one who says, I have not, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walks. So John is saying true believers desire and they do obey the word of God, even if it's not perfect obedience. Those who think they are believers, but they are not do not obey. And they're liars, John said. No matter what their profession is, they're liars. It's not true. Because if you really were converted, you'd have to obey. You can't live a life of disobedience. There's going to be obedience. So, true believers obey. On the other hand, pseudo-false Christians may believe the Bible, 
They may believe the Bible from cover to cover, but they consistently fail to practice what the Bible teaches. They may hear the word preached. They may even have a deep respect and reverence for its truths, especially if you were raised in a home that, that respected the Bible. Or as we said before, in, in the Deep South where the Bible belt is, there's just a cultural respect for Scripture. You might even be a diligent student of Scripture. I know individuals who know the Bible quite well, but they consistently walk away from sermon after sermon without the word having any impact on their lives. No impact at all. They are what James referred to in his little letter as hearers of the word and not doers of the word. Now, I want you to notice exactly what James says about people like this. So let's look at James chapter 1, beginning at verse 22. This is important that you understand this because this is, if this fits you, you need to do something about it before it's too late. James chapter 1, verse 22. James says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. This is very interesting. James urges us to be the kind of people who do God's word rather than merely hear it. Now, it's important that we hear it. You have to hear it first to do it. But we need to go beyond hearing it. We need to take it a step further and apply to our lives what we hear from Scripture. Now, it is very interesting that the Greek word that James used for hearers was an ancient word used for an auditor. An auditor, as you know, in an educational setting is someone who comes to class, he listens to the lectures, but he doesn't do any assignments because he's not taking the class for credit. He doesn't really care. He's not taking the class for credit. That's what James says someone who only hears the word is like. He's auditing God's word. He comes to church, he listens to the word preached, and then he just leaves without doing what the word says. The Bible has absolutely no impact on his life. There are no changes he makes in response to what he's just heard. Now, James tells us that those who only hear without ever obeying scripture, he said they delude themselves. What he means by that is that they deceive themselves into thinking that they are Christians when in reality they are not. They are what someone referred to as sermon tasters who never tasted the grace of God. Just tasted a sermon here, sermon there, but they've never tasted of the richness of God's grace and salvation. Pastor Steve Kreloff will conclude this three-part message on the next Verse by Verse. These daily broadcasts are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry supported by the prayers and gifts of our listeners. Here now is Pastor Steve to tell you how you can help keep these Bible classes on the air. I'm Pastor Steve Kreloff, and it's my hope that you're encouraged in your faith and strengthened spiritually through the teaching you receive on Verse by Verse. We believe that the Word of God has answers for problems. We know that life has stresses, life has pressures. We're looking for answers. We believe that the place to look is the Word of God, and we are uh, grateful every time we hear that someone is listening to the radio, and uh, our program has been transformed by by Scripture, because uh, the Word of God is not only inspired, but Paul said it is profitable, and it will transform lives. So we're grateful that uh, we could come into your home, into your car, and, and help you deal with life's pressures. If you've been blessed through verse by verse, please consider supporting this ministry with prayer and your financial gifts. 
You can call 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714. Or drop us a line at P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. That's P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. You can find more information about giving, and you can access the audio archives of these programs on our website, versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. If you would like to order a CD or a cassette with this entire message, give us a call at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we'll call you back during weekday office hours. Our number again is 727-441-1714. When Jesus talked about these two men and their houses, what kind of storm was he warning about? You know, life is full of stormy events, but there is one coming that will be the most important and the most severe test that has ever come to pass. It is a test that we will all face. Please join us for the next verse-by-verse for Pastor Steve's conclusion of this message about the foolish man and the wise man. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse W262CP. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.